Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Actually, let's do this. Let's start with Matthew chapter 16. We were here last week, and I told you, I mean, we were, in, we were here, we were in Matthew chapter 16 last week, and I told you there was something I was going to come back to, and I don't always remember to do that, but I did today, and it's actually kind of at the center of what we're going to be talking about. In Matthew 16, what we were looking at was the, uh, Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, and uh, in verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, last week we explained that when it talks about the gates of hell, or the gates of Hades, the realm of death, is that simply the gates of a city and the gates of a kingdom are where the councils and the judgments and the plans were made. Uh, and this is telling us that the councils and the plans and the judgments of hell, of the devil, of the realm of death, are not going to prevail against Jesus Christ's church, right? Because we know that God's judgments, his plans... Uh, and his counsel will prevail in his kingdom and ultimately in all of creation. Please say amen to that, that we understand that God will absolutely prevail. Uh, but we need to recognize here, of course, is that this is not a reference to the sweet by and by. We're not talking about the ultimate judgment that God is going to render on the earth and on creation. We're talking about life in the church here and now. When he talks about the keys of the kingdom... Uh, those who were in authority in a city, in a kingdom, actually were given keys. Many times they were functional keys, but just as often they were symbolic of power, of authority, of position in the government. Many times a certain key or, or a, a certain display of keys indicated that that person had access to the treasury of the kingdom. Isn't that interesting? That'd be something worth exploring in, a, in a, maybe a message or a series on, on finances. But the phrase that has generated some dispute over the years is this thing about binding and loosing. If we use those words too literally, we wind up binding, as in tying up or imprisoning everything that is unpleasant or repugnant to us, while loosing or releasing into our lives everything we desire, because that's what whatever you bind on earth, heaven will back you up. Whatever you loose on earth, heaven will back you up. Well, that leaves things pretty wide open. And the first key to understanding this passage is the meaning of these actual words. And it's much, much closer to forbidding and permitting. Whatever you bind, whatever you forbid on earth uh, will be bound or permitted in heaven. Whatever you loose or permit on earth will be loosed or permitted in heaven. Now, that opens the floodgates, too, because uh, doesn't, already, doesn't heaven already have a pretty firm grasp on what is forbidden and permitted? We don't get to decide what's right and wrong, okay? So, 
probably the best way of understanding this, this phrase, this passage, is whatever you forbid on earth will be whatever is already forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be whatever is already permitted in heaven. And that is not to take away from the power of this verse. I want you to think about it. If you know God's will concerning a matter, whether it's sin, sickness, lack, oppression, and so on, then you can authoritatively declare it as a key-carrying citizen of the kingdom of God. And heaven, the very power of heaven, will back you up. Just a second, and we'll get back to that. First, I want, I want, I want you to see another uh, passage where Jesus uses this same phrase. Actually, just a couple chapters over in Matthew chapter 18, and we'll pick it up in verse 15, where he says, uh, If your brother or sister sins, go and point, it, point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Um, I'm reading out of the right version. doesn't matter. You understand it. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you, agree, uh, two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now this, I want you to understand, we talked about this a while back where people will, uh, they'll complain that Christians are taking a verse out of context and misusing it. And I would argue that in some, certainly in some cases that's true, but in many cases it's simply, there's a broad promise that's spoken but applied in a specific context. And this is a perfect example of that. Uh, this is a specific application of a principle that Jesus had already spoken two chapters earlier. Jesus here is talking about church discipline, trusting that as we come together as a church and we invoke the multitude of counsel, then the decisions that we arrive at will be in accordance with God's revealed will and therefore backed by God himself. Does that make sense? Do I need to say that again? What he's saying is, you talk about this issue, in this case, a sinning brother. You got somebody against it. If you see a brother sin, you go to him first. Don't go blab it. Don't go gossip. Don't bring it up in a prayer meeting. You go to him and say, this is a problem between you and me. Because I see this, and I think you're wrong. And if he doesn't receive it, then you go to one other brother and say, and then you confront him, small group style, little uh, intervention kind of thing. And if he still won't hear correction, then take it to the church. And if he won't hear the church then there's no fellowship. You break fellowship, you withhold communion. There's a number of ways of interpreting that in, in, in other scriptures. Not getting into those details right now. But, he's, but then that's when he says, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. In other words, this idea, because then he goes on to say, if two or more of you agree, and if two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst, this is all in the context of confronting a sinning brother and dealing with church discipline. And saying that if you do these things right, then you will know, you will, there, there's power in agreement, there's, a, there's wisdom in the multitude of counsel, and if you take it to the church and we agree, hey, we're going we're gonna to confront this guy, we all agree this is sin, uh, 
there, there's discipline that needs to take place, then heaven itself, God backs us up on that, makes his will known to us as we seek his will, again, in the multitude of counsel and in prayer. And they, then our very words and our judgments have authority because they are already made clear in God's word and God's kingdom. All right? Now, when people say, see, when we talk about binding and loosing, it's only about church discipline, are making a terrible, terrible mistake that is robbing them of a lot. Look again at verses 19 and 20. This power in the prayer of agreement, the special presence of Jesus where two or three are gathered in his name. Does anyone really think that that applies only to church discipline? Again, this is another example of Jesus referring to an overarching truth and applying it to a specific situation. He is saying, here's the specific problem we're looking at, confronting and correcting and disciplining a sinning brother. Here's how to do it. Here's how we know it works. Because if, any, if two or more of you on earth agree concerning a thing, power in the prayer of agreement. If two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. Since these two broad principles are true, when you walk in those principles and apply it to this situation, this is the result. This is important because those two statements about the prayer of agreement and two or three gathered and and Jesus being in our presence, those are statements that apply to our Christian life, not just church discipline. And it's the same way with binding and loosing. Since the binding and loosing principle is based on what's already revealed in heaven, what God has already bound and loosed or uh, forbidden and permitted, then we have the backing of heaven concerning everything, even church discipline. It is not limiting this to church discipline. It's simply applying a broad, important core truth of kingdom living to church discipline. All right? Best I can do for now. Now, as, uh, here's the main thing in light of what we've been talking about the last few weeks. As illustrated in this particular example, all of this takes place in the community of the church. We cannot pronounce and enforce the counsel of heaven, the counsels of heaven, on those outside the church. When we bind and loose according to the kingdom of God, we can't bind and loose outside the kingdom of God. These things are operative in the kingdom of God and in the visible local church. Uh, God ultimately, as I said at the beginning of this service, he will do that at the end. God will judge the whole world. And he will, there will, there will be judgment in the, in the bad sense, Okay. He will enforce his will at the end. We, however, can only submit to his will and enforce his will in the community of the saints, of the believers. I think Hayford put it this way, that we cannot uh, impose Christian morality on a godless world. And what did Paul write uh, in Corinthians? What do I have to do with judging outsiders? 
Those of us who are called, who are in the kingdom already, are called to live by his standards and to encourage and even discipline others in that regard. But Paul says, as far as those outside the church, what do I have to do with them? He was talking about a specific sinner in the church at Corinth, telling them how to deal with this guy. And he said, you know, I wrote this letter. I told you not to do this, not to do that, not to hang out. Don't eat with such a one. But I didn't mean anybody in the world. I meant this guy who's calling himself a believer. He says, I'm not saying extend this same kind of judgmental attitude, if you want to call it that, this, this same judgment, this godly judgment. I'm not saying that to apply, uh, to apply that to your sinful neighbor. He's outside the church. You still got to rub shoulders with him. You're trying to win him to the kingdom, but this guy's supposed to be representative of the kingdom already. Him I'm passing judgment on. I'm not passing judgment on the world. I have nothing to do with that. God does. The judgment that we pass, the discipline we enforce, the morals that we enforce are within the kingdom of God. Same thing with the binding and loosing. You remember what John Adams said about the Constitution? Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. This same principle applies to kingdom living and the Word of God. That's a bigger can of worms than I want to open right now. So let's get back to what matters to us today in the context of church membership. Jesus gave us this example, again, of church discipline, uh, seen as applying the binding and loosing principle. Again, the forbidding and permitting principle. This promise. So here's what I want you to see, looking at it in the broader sense of the promise. What I, I guess a good place to start for me is, what is permitted in heaven? And what is forbidden in heaven? In God's presence. Are there certain circumstances that we can fully expect not to encounter in heaven? Are there certain entities that we can fully expect not to encounter in heaven? What can we expect to see and experience in the manifested kingdom of God? Let me ask you, is there poverty in heaven? Anybody think for one second that there's poverty in heaven? Okay. Is there sickness in heaven? Is there oppression in heaven? Is there demonic possession in heaven? Is there confusion in heaven? Is there division in heaven? Okay? These are the things that we should be binding or forbidding in our community as a church. When we talk about authoritatively coming against things, these are things that in the kingdom of heaven we don't expect to see, aren't going to see, and we don't want to see them in our midst. Is there abundance in heaven? Is there freedom in heaven? Is there ultimate deliverance in heaven? Is there health, ultimate healing in heaven? Is there clarity? Is there unity? These are the things that we permit. These are the things that we loose in our midst, in the church, in the kingdom on earth. So, can we bind COVID? Yes, in our house, in our church. Can we bind it from the earth? What have I to do with those outside the church? Can I bind sin? Can I forbid sin? Yes, in my life, in my house, in my church. Can I forbid it in the world? No.
Same with all this stuff. We should desire. We should really deeply desire to see healing, prosperity, deliverance, and all the good things that God has made available. We should desire to see these things for all of our fellow man. I want to see the whole world enjoy these things, but they are only available to those in the kingdom. So what's my priority? Get them in the kingdom. Preach the gospel. Live the gospel. I've nothing but uh, gratitude for organizations that exist to feed the hungry, to stamp out uh, oppression and all these things, but it's getting the cart before the horse. God has made these things abundantly available to his children, his family, his kingdom, and so the best thing we can do is get them in the kingdom first where these things uh, are our privilege and our right. This is something I always think about when I'm asked to pray for someone. When somebody says, hey, would you pray for so-and-so? Uh, they're going through a, they have to have a surgery. They were just in an accident. They're going through a hard time. The first question I almost always ask is, do you know if they're a believer? Because it changes the way I pray. If I'm praying for a believer, I know what your rights are. And I'm standing in faith. Then the second question I ask, are they, if they're a believer, do they believe that it's God's will for them to have what you're asking me to pray for. How many of you know there are believers who don't believe it's necessarily always God's will to heal? Now, they still want you to pray for them, but are they expecting it, and do they see this as something they are entitled to, not because of their own goodness, but because of what Jesus has purchased for them? Say, so, yeah, they believe God's, God has healed them. They believe God's already purchased their healing. All right, then what I'm doing is I'm agreeing with them. We together are agreeing with the word of God, and we're speaking faith. If they're a believer and they don't necessarily believe, I include that in my prayer. Father, open their eyes to the truth that as a child of God, they are entitled to this because it's something you've already made available to, to them through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's part of my prayer. If they're not a believer, I say, Father... For our sake, we are standing in, in total intercession here. There's a gap between this sick person and you. We're standing in that gap asking you to heal them on our authority and that you use this situation to reveal yourself as the healer to this person because ultimately we want them in your kingdom where they are not only saved from hell, but they are walking in a daily supply of the healing and abundance and deliverance and everything else that you promised the believer. Get them in the kingdom. Because that's where all the provision for all these things is. Whew. All right. <laughs> I think I will. When I stand in faith for my healing and for my wife's healing, there is never any doubt about where we stand in relation to, uh, to God's will. I know that we are both in agreement with what God has done, with what God has said, and we are in agreement with each other, and we, and, and we are in agreement with his word. There is never any uh, concern that we're on the same sheet of music. And then there's praying for my household. If I'm praying for my children, my kids are at different points in their faith journey. But they're under my roof, they're under my authority. So I pray with authority over me and my body, my wife with whom I am one flesh, there's the, where the strongest bond and agreement of faith is. And then over my household, that's where I know this authority is, the next circle out, I guess, would be my church. I know you are the believers that I know the best. I know what you've been taught. I know what your worship looks like because we do this together. And even though we might not be 100% at the same level, we might not see eye to eye on 100% of the things, I know essentially what we believe, and therefore it's easy for me to pray for you. And there's some authority there. 
And then outside that circle, there's praying for other believers. People who I know, because they're believers, they've confessed Christ as Lord. Therefore, I believe they are entitled to the things that I am praying for them based on the word of God. I might not be able to pray with such authority because I don't know the ins and outs of what their particular doctrines are, and I have no particular connection to them uh, personally, other than the fact that I know they are part of the body of Christ at large. And then for the world. And I'm not talking, and I say this, I'm not talking about these are my priorities. I'm talking about levels of authority, praying, standing in faith, speaking with authority. I will pray for anybody. But if you and I are part of the same body of believers, I'm talking local body of believers, then I'm walking in authority that I don't have when I pray for those outside the church. And it's the same way. It should be the same way when you pray for one another and when you pray for me. You can pray for anybody. But your prayers for those in this local body and for your pastor, we should be seeing more results we should be, and we should be walking in a stronger faith and conviction that we are going to see these things because we are connected in ways that we aren't connected with other believers, certainly in ways we're not connected with the world. I get it. All believers are the body of Christ, but the church, the local assembly, should be the clearest picture of that. It gives us something to sink our teeth into. I remember... I think I've shared this story before. Very first Mexico trip I went on with YWAM. I met a guy uh, who just made a great, I met some great people. Uh, People who were leaders on this trip, people who were, you know, fellow short-term missionaries, etc. But this was one of the leaders and uh, just really appreciated his, uh, just his love walk and, and his wisdom and as I was just kind of talking to him, he was driving the bus and I was just speaking to him, just kind of helping him stay awake. And just trying to get to know him better. And this was on the way back. I said, hey, man, I said, we've been, we've been hanging out this week. I don't even know where you go to church. Where, where, where are you? Uh, what's your church? He goes, well, I don't have a particular church. I consider myself part of the body of Christ at large. And I like to think I could be comfortable walking into any church any Sunday. And I was 19 years old. And this impressed me. I thought, man, that's really cool. It didn't take too many years before I looked back on that conversation and realized you got a problem. You got a problem with submission and you got a problem with commitment. There's no commitment there. It's really easy to bolt when things get a little hard if you're not committed. If you've never expressed your commitment in the first place, it's kind of like, here's another story I've told many times. A couple I knew back in, in college who were the Christian couple that were living together. And uh, a friend, a mutual friend, uh, decided to confront them on this. And there's a number of things you could say. You'd say, look, you know, marriage is marriage. And we live in a society that defines marriage in a, in, in a particular way that, that does gel with the biblical definition of marriage. Because he was saying, look, we're both believers what do we need a piece of paper from a sinful society for? A worldly society telling us we're married. In, in God's eyes, we're married. This was his answer. And I would have come back with, you need the piece of paper. You need the ceremony. You need the rings. You need something that other people can see that you're married. This guy, this other brother, went to him and said, okay, I'll accept that, but I'm a brother. You're a brother. She's a sister. How about we write up a little document here that makes it very, very clear in no uncertain terms, that when you stop living together, you are divorced in God's eyes. But they weren't thinking about that. 
And deep in the back of many people's minds are living together. Well, we're committed. We're committed. But you ain't married. And that means when you decide to stop living together, hey, we're not divorced. We never were married. Makes it easy. So, today, I'm asking you to commit to being part of this church. Officially. Formally. Will you marry me? No, this we formally. I don't want I don't want you to think in terms of I go to Living Word or I attend Living Word regularly. I want you to think and act in these terms. This is my church. Listen, things happen. People move. There are more or less legitimate reasons for people leaving, and even if they leave living word, as long as they don't abandon Christ, we don't break fellowship with anybody. I made some kind of goofy comment last week, you know, about how we'll do this formal, I break with thee ceremony. We don't do that. I just want you to understand that in order for things to be, for your life to be as potent as it's supposed to be, especially when we come to talk about things in terms of binding and loosing, You need to be connected in a committed way to a local, visible expression of the body of Christ. We are going to be more effective in fulfilling our vision to live the gospel and preach the gospel if we are truly committed to this assembly, meaning we are committed to one another. Uh, Praise and worship team, you can come on up here. That was fast, wasn't it? Can you tell I'm hungry? That's really not it. There's a story. I can't remember if uh, Brother Hagen told this or somebody else, but about a preacher who uh, used to, he was kind of a circuit preacher, and he would, he would go out to some of the more remote communities and and some of the farmers would, would gather from one farm to the next, one Sunday to the next, and he would uh, do a church service. And so he shows up one day, and there's one farmer there. And uh, he says, are you here for the church service? He says, yeah, I am, preacher. He says, well, there's just you. Should we do it? He said, well, so if I went out with a load of hay for my cattle and only one, one animal showed up, I suppose I'd go ahead and feed him. All right. So he opens in prayer, he sings, leads some songs, he preaches a full sermon, he does an altar call, offers communion, does everything, and then afterwards he goes to the one guy and says, did you, what did you think about the service? He says, well, preacher, if only one animal showed up, I'd go ahead and feed him, but I probably wouldn't feed him the whole load. So this is what I did. I had a sermon twice as long, but only half of you are here. No, I'm kidding. That really is all I had. As far as the message goes, we're not done. Before we do anything else, stand up. You've been sitting for 10 minutes, so stand up. And let me do this, because we are going to talk about membership. I'm going to give you an opportunity to express your commitment, if you haven't already. I know most of you have. But just to make sure. Even if you're excited about joining the church, even if you're excited about being openly committed to this church, I need to know, first of all, are you a believer? 
right? Members only for members only. You've got to be a member of the, the, the family of God before you can be a member of Living Word Family Church. And it's much more important. If it's just one or the other, you get saved, okay? You get born again. If you, uh, it's probably expressed most compactly and succinctly in Romans where, where, where Paul writes, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from sin, saved from hell, saved from this world even. The only right, only way to be in, in, in right standing with God is to accept the payment for your salvation that was paid by Jesus Christ in his shed blood on the cross. Every single one of us was essentially born dead. We are born with a sin nature that ultimately in every single case causes us to sin against a holy God. And there is no making up for that. There's no paying for that on our own. And God, knowing that and loving us anyway, gave his son to bear our punishment. Gave his, Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many to free us from the grip of sin, from the grip of Satan, from the grip of death. Frees us to life and freedom in, uh, in our right relationship with our Heavenly Father. How do you do it? Just what I just said. Do you believe that, that, that uh, Jesus is Lord? And do you believe that God raised him from the dead? If you've never publicly confessed that, if you've never personally received that as salvation, that's what I'm offering you right now. I'm going to pray real quick about that, then we'll do something else. Heavenly Father, I pray if there's anybody in here who doesn't know you, and you know who they are, even if they don't, that you would reveal to them in a powerful way right now their need, their desperate need for salvation. Create uh, an insatiable, unignorable hunger in them to be saved now, Lord. You're the only one who can do it. We're asking you to do it. Reveal their need and give them the hunger. Grant them the wisdom to come and take advantage, avail themselves of this precious gift that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, is there anybody who says, Scott, just real quick, that's me. I promise it won't take long. You want to walk out of here and born again, citizen of the kingdom of heaven, raise your hand, I'll pray for you. Anybody? Okay. Next, and again, considering who's here and the, the smallness of the crowd and the people we're missing, might not apply to anybody because I haven't looked at the membership roles, but... If, uh, if you've never been a member of Living Word and would like to be, I want you to come forward. All I'm going to have you do is say, my name is this, and this is my church. And there's some stuff. We've got some CDs for you to listen to. There's workbooks for you to work through, but they don't take long, and we'll get those to you to go over uh, to either today or very soon. Uh, but if you know enough about us to know you want to be a part of this, come up here. You come up here now. Say, so this is just to say, this is my church. Turn around, face the people. Just say, this is my name and this is my church. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Keep going. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Stay here for just a second. Heavenly Father. Whoops, I don't need this, do I? Heavenly Father, thank you for these who have joined us, who have expressed their commitment to us, to one another, and to you in this local body. Ask for your blessings on them. Ask that you continue to grow us and use us. Get us all plugged in and committed to you, your purposes, your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Give them one more hand as they return to their seats. God bless you guys. Thank you. Everyone else, look at that piece of paper, because if you're already a member, I need you to say, I just need you to check that box, I'm still there. This is still my church. I desire to renew my membership. I'm so glad. I'm so, so happy to be a part of Living Word Family Church. And I'm so thrilled that hearing what you just heard, you still decide to join the church. But it's exciting because committing to joining opens up the authority of everybody else in this church to speak life over you, to speak health over you, provision over you. There's something important about having a pastor, believe me, but it's just as important to have this body because when there's something wrong with you, there's something wrong with me. All right? And I'm going to take your... What we're committing to is this. When there's something wrong with you, when there's a need in your life, I'm going to pray for it, and I'm going to speak to it like it was a need in my life because we are bound together as a body. It's a good place to be. It can be a little bit scary. It can be a little bit frustrating. It can be a little bit painful. But we don't chop off body parts, do we? Unless it's an absolute dire... the, The direst of circumstances. What do we do? We do everything we can to heal stay connected, and get healthy. Praise the Lord. Nobody else I'd rather do it with than you guys. Let me pray one more time to close this out. Pastor Mike, did you have anything? I mean, okay. I'm, I'm going to uh, release you here. I'm going to loose you after a, after a word of, uh, we're going to go out with a song, right? We'll have a song. After that, don't forget to take those sheets and put them in the slot outside of the office, outside Cheryl's office, and stick around for the family meal. All right? And I'll go ahead and pray over that now, too. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this church. Thank you for everything you're speaking to us, every way you are using us, every way you are growing us up, making us more and more powerful in the lives of one another. And Father, I know that this is going to make us a more powerful force in our community and in the world. We will see your kingdom grow as a result of our commitment to one another and our love for one another. So thank you for today. Thank you for this service. Thank you for every individual and family that's here and your revealed will for our lives. And thank you now for this time of fellowship and for the food we're about to enjoy. We declare, even in this age of sickness, Lord, that as we thank you uh, and and give you uh, honor and credit for everything that we enjoy in this life, including our food, that you will bless our bread and water and take sickness from our midst. We receive that in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.